Well, good evening. As Jimmy said, we're really delighted by everybody being with us this evening. It's always good to get back, to open our Bibles, study a little deeper in God's Word. If you've got your Bible, we're going to begin just a moment in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, we're going to walk through that passage here in just a moment. We welcome everyone and welcome our visitors. We're glad you could be with us. Story is told of this farmer who died. He had no descendants. And so he left his barn, his house, and the farm in his will to the devil. Now, the courts got involved, and the attorneys started fussing. First of all, how do you know if there's even a devil? And then how in the world do you leave a barn to the devil? And so it went before the courts, and a lot of fussing and arguing went on, and the judge made a decision. And the judge says, we feel like it's best way to honor the deceased's wishes was to allow the farm to grow to weeds, the soil to erode, the house and the barn to deteriorate, to rot and fall into ruin. The judge added, it is in the court's opinion that the best way to leave something to the devil is simply to do nothing. Let's listen to uh, financial guru Dave Ramsey this past week. And... He was saying the number one financial mistake people make, barring any. And of course, Dave Ramsey hates credit cards, and it wasn't credit cards. And Dave Ramsey hates student loans, and it wasn't student loans. And Dave Ramsey hates whole life insurance, and it wasn't whole life insurance. And Dave Ramsey hates timeshares, and it wasn't timeshares. He said the number one financial mistake made in America is people not paying attention to their finances. They have no idea where the money goes. Now, this would be a great place just to kind of spin off and talk a little bit about money, but we're not going to do that tonight. We're going to look in John chapter 16, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And there's a connection here we'll see as we develop this lesson about where we are and what God says in this regard. We're going to begin John 16 and read verses 5 through 11. John 16, 5 through 11. Jesus says, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, Where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, verse 7 says, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to my Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, this evening, we want to spend our time and talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin. We'll talk about how that happens. Jason's getting ready to do a Wednesday night class upon the Holy Spirit. And I thought this would be a good opportunity just to kind of throw in some other thoughts here and there about that. There's so much to say about the Holy Spirit. But to understand this passage and how important it is for us, we begin by understanding three things right away in this passage that teaches us about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling the apostles, when I leave, I will send him. That comes from verse 7. It says, unless I go, I will not send him. But when I go, I will send him. And again, this is a, this is a help for the, for the apostles. In this context, he's called the helper or he's called the comforter. And again, by this, we understand and appreciate that God had not abandoned them. 
In chapter 14, it says, I do not leave you as orphans. And so again, the idea that God was always present to help his people. Secondly, this text tells us that the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would guide the apostles into all the truth. We stopped in verse 11, but when you get down to verse 13 of John 16, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. God was not leaving it up to mankind to figure things out. God didn't play divine hide-and-seek. I'm up here, see if you can find me. God didn't say, I'm going to drop little breadcrumbs here and there and see if you can follow my trail. God was going to give specific instructions that they would know where God is, how to please God, and how to follow God. And, and this is essential. In a couple chapters before this, in John chapter 14, again on the same subject, but when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And again, emphasizing this was to go to the apostles. This is the role of the apostles. We're going to talk about this movement today about the Holy Spirit, but that was a, a, a divine teaching for the apostles. Get your Bible. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Let's just follow this real quickly, if you will. In Acts chapter 1, and right before Jesus would descend to heaven, he would say in verse 7 and verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 8, he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Here Jesus is talking to the apostles. He's telling them, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming. And he's going to come with power, and you shall be witnesses of me. You turn the page to chapter 2 of Acts, noticing verse 15, when the people accused Peter and the apostles of being drunk because they were speaking in tongues, Peter says, these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days that God will pour forth his spirit upon all mankind. And then jumping ahead in this context of verse 32 and verse 33, he says, this Jesus Christ, God raised up again, which we are all witnesses Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So the role of the Holy Spirit was to guide the apostles. And as they wrote and as they preached, they were writing this from inspiration. So the Apostle Paul would say in this regard in Ephesians 3, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insights into the mystery of Christ. That is essential for us to understand. Paul does not say the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and tell you what you need to know. No, he told me, and I wrote it down. And when you read what I wrote, you know what I know. And that was how the Holy Spirit was working. And that's how God intended for these things to be, that they were to be a guide unto all the truth. And then our lesson this evening is the idea that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin. And what we want to talk about is how does that happen? 
For years and years and years, there's a lot of people who believe it's a personal indwelling, a personal sensation, it's a personal feeling. Somehow the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and whether you want it or not, and all of a sudden God saves you, whether you want to be saved or not. That is a major thread in most religions today. It's part of a system that we call Calvinism. And when we think about this concept of Calvinism, there's five steps we call the tulips. First one is total depravity. Everyone's born in sin. You can't think a good thought unless God gives it to you. You means unconditional election. God's going to save who he chooses to save. It's not going to save everybody, just the chosen are going to be saved. L stands for limited atonement. Jesus came to die just for the elect. And then I is irresistible grace, and P is perseverance of the saints, or once saved, always saved. This is the point we're talking about. Irresistible grace. The Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you have this sensation you cannot explain. You've never had this feeling before, and at that moment, God has saved you. Right there, whether you want to be saved or not, whether you want to be good or not, God has chosen to do this. And that's how most of the religious community would define the convicting of the Holy Spirit. What I want to look at this evening is, let's see what the Bible really teaches about that. And see what role you have. Sin can be like a satellite orbiting the earth. Round and round and round it goes. And it continues to go round and round and round it goes until somebody breaks that orbit. And when we think about the sin in our life, it's that same way until God breaks that. The culture, the environment, the friends keeps us orbiting around and stuck on the cycle of sin. But we break this through the help of God. And how God does this, the avenue in which God does this, is through the word of God. Romans 1 verse 16 talks about how the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And what I want us to see is conviction by the Holy Spirit comes about through the preaching of God's Word. Let's look at three places that are going to emphasize this. Turn your Bible now to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Begin at verse 17. Ephesians 4, begin at verse 17. It says, this I say, this I say therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ this way. Do you see verse 20? How did they learn Christ? They learned Christ through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. If you indeed, verse 21, heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. How did they learn? They learned through the preaching of God's word. They were convicted as the Apostle Paul preached the Word of God. Turn a page or two in your Bible to the book of Colossians now. Colossians chapter 1. And again, notice 
similar things here. Again, the avenue in which the Holy Spirit works is through the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and evil deeds, yet he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. You see that? How did they get that? The avenue, the road that the Holy Spirit traveled on was the preaching of God's word. Paul does not say you were out there digging a ditch, minding your own business, thinking about the things of the world, and the Holy Spirit just came upon you, and just like that, you're saved. No, the Bible doesn't say that. We see the connection between the conviction and the teaching of God's word. The book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 5. He says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Again, there's that concept of hearing the word of God. This is the avenue in which this came about and took place. Now, if you will, let's go back in our Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We remember as... Peter was preaching this sermon in Acts 2 at Pentecost. And he was pointing to that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the chosen Messiah, whom they had just crucified. And in verse 37, as Peter is still preaching, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the brethren, What shall we do? Notice how verse 37 begins, when they heard this. Not when they felt that from the Holy Spirit, but when they heard that, what did they hear? What Peter there was preaching. Cut to the heart is what other translations say. Now you think about that physically. If somebody was engaged in a battle and they threw a spear at your chest and it went into your heart, That's a bad day. It's probably a fatal wound. It's probably going to kill you. And basically, that's what Peter is saying here, is that they were killed by God through the preaching of God's word. And we'll see how this comes about here in just a moment as we look at that. And so when we consider this idea, conversion is not independent of God's word. Someone who says, well, I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven, but I've never read the Bible, I've never heard the Bible, that's not true to what we see in our passages. We see the avenue the Holy Spirit uses is is the Word of God that was preached. And so this idea of of piercing the heart or cutting the heart means to be smitten in conscience. It's the idea that God's Word revealed the guilt of their sins. They did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. Just as Peter had said. And because of this, they were convicted by the Holy Spirit. They realized they were saying, that's why they said, what shall we do? They didn't say, well, that's a cool sermon, preacher. 
Like your words, preacher. Maybe come back next week. We hear you again. No, they were cut to the heart. We're in trouble. I realize we are guilty of sin. God declares us guilty. How did that come about? Through the Holy Spirit convicting them through the Word of God. Now, in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, I want you to notice this interesting contrast. Because in Acts chapter 7, we have the preacher Stephen preaching. He also is preaching about Jesus. And in Acts chapter 7, he says in verse 51, You men who are stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit, you're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you've now become. You have received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. You ever use fingernail clippers and you get them a little too deep? Hurt your finger, then it just stings. It just doesn't go away. Pierced in the heart, cut to the quick. I want you to notice what the difference here. In Acts chapter 2, thousands were baptized. In Acts chapter 7, they covered their ears and they killed the preacher. Now we look at this and we say, why the difference? The difference is not the Holy Spirit. The difference is not what was preached. They both preached Jesus Christ. That was the message. The difference was in the heart's of the listeners. And so when we get this idea of being convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's not independent of what God's word, nor is it independent of my faith and my actions. And that's where we want to spend just the rest of our time this evening as we talk about this. When we think about the convicting of the Holy Spirit, three things are necessary to take place. Number one, we listen with intention. We listen with intention. Preaching is like having a one-way conversation, and you hear it, and you pay attention, and things happen. In James chapter 1, verse 21, James said it this way, Therefore, put aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. They've come with an intention to receive the word of God. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, the apostle says this, For this reason, we, all, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in those who believe. You've received, you have heard. How does the Holy Spirit work? He works through the preaching of God's word. And so we have this idea of bringing the best. That's our theme this year. And when I think about bringing the best, I need to realize God can help me. God can work on me. God can change me if I'm receptive to the word of God. It's like this little boy in a pile of peas. His mind's already made up. He doesn't like them. And when I make my mind up, I'm not going to listen tonight. I don't care what he says. I'm just going to pay attention to something else. I'm going to spend this hour looking on my phone. I'm going to send a few texts. I'm going to play a few games. 
Guess what? The Holy Spirit cannot touch your heart. Why? Because I've not entered it with the intention of listening. You see that? As powerful as God is, an element of this belongs to us. Secondly, this comes about when we put down the defenses and stop resisting the power of the Scriptures. Again, when we fight God, we're not going to be changed by God. Romans 1, verse 16, the gospel is the power into salvation. Notice these two passages bring them to my mind. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. How would I cause grief? How would I cause grief to you? I'd tell you something sad, wouldn't I? I'd do something that makes you upset. And so we grieve the Holy Spirit when God's word has been proclaimed and I just let it lay there. It doesn't touch me. I leave no different than when I came. Again, that concept. First Thessalonians, do not quench the Spirit. You get the idea in your mind of maybe a little fire, and someone's put some water on that fire, and a fire has gone out. He has quenched that fire. He's put the flame out. How do I put out the Holy Spirit? Simply when I will not let God's Word do what I want it to do. You ever try to put a one-year-old or two-year-old in the car seat that doesn't want to go in the car seat? Oh, my goodness. you never seen somebody so stiff-legged, stiff-armed, and you're trying to push, and you're fighting and resisting? Sometimes, I wonder if that's us with God's Word. I fight it. I resist it. I don't want to talk about this. And so as a result, the Holy Spirit cannot help me because of the way I'm acting. Then number three, this comes about when we examine our hearts. When we pay attention to where we are headed, we pay attention to our life, and we realize that we need the salvation of Christ. We realize that God's word is something I need every day in my life, and it will convict you. It will remind you, you said something you probably shouldn't have said, and that was wrong, and you feel guilty. It will tell you your attitude is not right. You're not thinking the way you ought to think. It will convict you that you have done wrong. And that that feeling leaves you miserable, uncomfortable, and it leads you to seeking the mercy of God. Instead of playing hide and seek with God, rather than blaming God, we're pierced, we're cut, we're slain by God. And here's what happens as a result. As a result of that, it leads to denying ourselves. When Jesus talked about discipleship, he said, any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And what it leads to is crucifying ourselves. Apostle Paul would say it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. To be crucified means I'm dead. I have been killed. Who killed me? The Holy Spirit killed me. How did it do? It pierced me in the heart. Now, now, before we read the rest of this, let's go in our Bibles, the book of Colossians. Because Colossians also brings up this very idea of crucifying. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Colossians 3 and verse 5. Therefore, he says, Colossians 3 verse 5, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed which amounts to idolatry. For it's a kind of these things the wrath of God will come, and in them you once walked in them when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. What's he saying? You're changed. What happened? 
Remember Romans chapter 6 about baptism? You buried the old man. We don't bury live people. We bury people who are dead. What happened? You've been killed by God. The Holy Spirit has worked upon your heart through the word of God and has convicted you. It made you realize the direction I'm going is wrong. My thought process I've had all these years is not right. I'm not like Jesus. And all this leads me to changing, convicted by God through the word of God. And what's interesting, when I was putting this together this past week, I thought, now, is this a sermon about the Holy Spirit? Or is it a sermon about preaching? Or it's a sermon about listening? In a lot of ways, it's all three, isn't it? It's all three. And as we build upon our theme this year of bringing the best, I become the best when I allow God to work upon my heart. I do that when I allow myself to be touched, convicted, and changed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And that's our thoughts for this evening. I hope it gives you some things to think about. And I hope it shows you how important it is, not just for the preachers to preach it right, but for the listeners to listen right. And to understand that I can come and sit in a church building, but my mind is 10,000 miles away thinking about all kinds of stuff, and I can leave and nothing ever changes. And for some people, that is the story of their life. Decade after decade after decade, they have sat in church buildings, but they're none the better. Why is it? It's not the Holy Spirit's problem. It's not the Word of God's problem. It's the idea that have I given my best when I came to God. And so those are some things we want you to think about. And as we've been saying, as we build upon this year, build upon our theme, we're going to be looking at lots and lots of different topics. Topics we hope will help you. Topics that will remind you. And topics that will help you. So as I open my Bible tomorrow to read it, I need to read it and understand as if there was no other person in this universe Nobody else on this planet, just me and God, this is what God wants me to know. And to listen to it carefully. Read those words slowly, to look at the words. When I come into assembly here, how I come in has a lot. Some of us are dragging because the world is heavy upon us. Do I let that get me away from God? Some of us have lots of plans this week and our minds are everywhere. Some of us come in because we're real tired, because we were up real late last night. Am I giving my best to God when his word is opened? And that's our thoughts. This evening, if we've touched your hearts in some way, we want to help you. Maybe this evening there's someone among us that could say, you know what? You've talked about me. I've been here a whole bunch, and usually I just zone in, zone out. But maybe it's time I gave God my best. And maybe among us, there may be somebody who's never been baptized. And you see how the process works. It works through the word of God. And as you hear that preached, and as Peter preached it, and as Stephen preached it, and as Paul preached it, over and over, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. That you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you get that. You understand, if I died, and I haven't done that, what are my chances? It's like playing a guessing game with God. And chances are we're going to lose. 
But I don't have to go through life that way. I can go through life with assurance and confidence, knowing that I've done what my God wants me to do, knowing that I've pleased my God by allowing God to convict me and change me and help me through this means. If you're subject, anyway, why don't you come as we stay and sing?